Chapter 5 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was Sunday afternoon. We must really, Carol, pay a couple of visits this afternoon, drawled Cato van Loer. Carol assented. It was visiting day. Where? he asked. She named one or two acquaintances. And then we must also go to Aunt and Uncle Roivener. It's their turn. And then, Carol, to your sister, to Constance. Hadn't we better wait till van der Velk is there? Otherwise we shall have to go again. I don't think it looks friendly to wait till van der Velke comes. Mamma did set us the example, Carol, you know. Then wouldn't it be better, Cato, for you to go alone first? Then I can call on van der Velke later. Or do you think I ought to wait until van der Velke has been to see me? We won't calculate it quite so closely as all that, said Cato generously. It looks as if we were not friendly. It would be better if you came with me today, Carol. So they decided both to call on Constance that afternoon, and they were on the point of starting when the bell rang, and Adolphine van Satsuma entered. What a nuisance, thought Cato. Now the carriage will absolutely have to wait. It was raining, and this meant that the broom would get wet. The horse was jobbed. The coachman did not count. He was only a man. Ah, Adolphine, this is nice of you. I see your carriage is at the door. Are you going out? Yes, presently, to pay a visit or two. So am I, but don't let me keep you. I am going to Constance this afternoon. So are we. How are you? I would really rather have waited till she had called on me. Oh, said Cato, it looks as if we weren't friendly to calculate it so closely. Don't you think, Adolphine? Do sit down, Adolphine. Adolphine sat down, for she was paying Carol and Cato a visit, and if she had not sat down, the visit would not have been paid, would not have counted as a visit. Perhaps that was also the reason why Carol and Cato urged Adolphine to sit down, otherwise she would have been obliged to come back another day. They all sat down, the brother, the sister, the sister-in-law. Outside the rain was pouring in torrents, and already the broom was glistening with the wet. Cato's saucer eyes watched every drop through the curtains. The usual drawing-room talk began. What terrible weather, isn't it, Adolphine? Terrible! Adolphine was thin, angular, envious, badly dressed. Beside the prosperous, opulent respectability of Carol and Cateau, sleek with good living, heavy with comfort, radiating money and ease, Carol in his thick frieze greatcoat, Cateau in a rich silk dress and a rich fur-trimmed jacket with a rich toque crowning her round pink and white full-moon face, Adolphine looked shabby, peevish and pretentious. The stuff of her clothes could not compare with Cato's, which were eloquent of money, good, substantial money. And yet Adolphine had certain pretensions to fashion and elegance. A thin, straggling boa wound its length around her neck. 
Her fringe, out of curl because of the wet, hung in rat's tails from under a shabby little hat, draped in a limp veil. It was as though Adolphine felt this, for she said, enviously, I didn't trouble to put on anything decent in this beastly rain. Cateau looked meaningly at the carriage outside. So, you're going to Constance also? Yes, but when will van der Velke be here? Satsuma is waiting to pay his visit until van der Velke comes. You see, said Carol to Cateau. Oh, asked Cateau, drawling her words more than ever. Is Satsuma waiting until van der Velke comes? Oh, I told Carol to come with me, because perhaps it wouldn't look friendly. What do you think of Constance Adolphine? Carol thinks his sister's so altered, so altered. Yes, she's altered. She has grown old, very old, said Adolphine, who, herself, four years younger than Constance, looked decidedly older. Oh, I don't know, said Carol, trying to defend his sister. You would never say she was forty-two. Oh, is she forty-two? drawled Cato. I will tell you what I think, said Adolphine. I don't think Constance looks a bit distinguished. When Adolphine was envious and jealous, and that was generally, she said the exact opposite of what she thought in her heart. Not a bit distinguished, she repeated with conviction. There is something in the way she does her hair, in those rings of hers. I don't know, something not quite respectable. Yes, something foreign, said Carol, feebly, by way of an excuse. I think said Cato. Constance has something about her that's not quite proper. Oh, said Adolphine, but propriety isn't her strong point. Never was, grinned Carol in his turn. If only she had stayed in Brussels, snapped Adolphine. Ah, said Cato, opening Big Owl's eyes. Do you think so too? Yes, and you? So do we, really drawled Cateau, more cheerfully, forgetting the broom waiting in the wet. Yes, said Adolphine with conviction. What are we to do with a sister like that? Whom you can't let anyone meet, growled Carol under his breath. Oh dear, whined Cateau to Adolphine, do you think so too? And, said Adolphine, mark my words, you'll see, she's full of pretensions. You know the sort of thing, with an envious wave of the hand. Society, pushing herself, perhaps even going to court. No, drawled Cato. Surely for that, even Constance would have too much tact. I'm not so sure, growled Carol. Unlike Bertha and Constance, Adolphine had not been presented at court, because, after Constance's marriage, Papa and Mamma van Loer feeling old and tired, had taken to living more quietly. She could never forgive them for it. No, droned Cato, but then you are such a regular, good, Dutch wife and mother, Adolphine. That's what I always say to Carol. Adolphine looked flattered. Yes, but, said Carol, by way of excuse, you mustn't look to Constance for what she has never been. She went straight to Rome after her first marriage.
Those court circles are always fast, Adolphine declared. And then, in Rome, cried Cato, clasping her fat hands, such things happen. Adolphine rose. Her visit was paid. She had a great deal more to talk about, among others, the way in which Bertha had, so to speak, forced her daughter Emily into her engagement with Van Raven. But it was growing late. She took her leave. Carol and Cato went straight to the broom. Oh dear, said Cato in a startled voice. How wet the carriage has got. They drove to pay their visits. First they drove to the Roiviners. Carol rang. Fortunately, uncle and aunt were out. Cards for uncle and aunt. Next, Cato consulted her list to Mrs. Van Frieserstein, an old friend of Mrs. Van Loer's, at home. A cantankerous, shriveled little old lady, always alert for news. Glad to see you, Cato. Sit down, Van Loer. So, Constance is back, I hear. Yes, drawled Cato. It's very unpleasant for us. And how is Constance? Oh, she's all right, said Carol casually. You see, Mefrau, droned Cato, she's Carol's sister, isn't she? So, you're all receiving her? Yes, because of Mamma, you know. And Bertha, too? Yes, Bertha, too. And will she go to court again, do you think? Well, Adolphine said that she'd be sure to go to court again. I think that's wrong of Constance, said the old lady, sharply, inquisitively, eager for a bit of scandal. And Bertha's Emily is soon to be married. Yes, and Adolphine's Florcha too. I hear Emily is to have a splendid trousseau, said the old lady. Florchers will be much less grand, I suppose. Not so fine, drawled Cato, but still very nice. What terrible weather, Mefrau. Come, Carol, we must be going on. In the broom again. Next visit to Mr. and Mrs. Eichstra, cousins of Cato, who was born an Eichstra. How do you do, Pete? How do you do, Anna? How do you do, Cato? How do you do, Carol? So, Constance is back. Yes, what do you think of it? And they all say everywhere that she is going to court. Oh, nonsense. Yes, Adolphine said so, and so did Mrs. Van Friesestein. How mad of Mrs. Van der Velke with that past of hers. Perhaps it's her husband who wants to go. Oh, no doubt it's her husband. And how does she look? Oh, so, so. Of course, she's Carol's sister but I think her not so very distinguished. Oh, well, I think her rather smart, growled Carol a little crossly. Oh, Carol, well, smart, if you like, but not what I call good taste. Rather foreign, I suppose, asked Anna Eichstra. Yes, and so many rings, that's what I don't like, and her hair, all curled and waved, Puffed right out, you know. So ridiculous. Because she's very grey, you know. Oh, really? Yes. 
What terrible weather, Anna. We ought to be going on, Carol. Where? growled Carol. To the Van Ravens. Oh, no, muttered Carol. It's raining so, and I have to get out all the time and ring the bell. But haven't you a footman? asked Anna, pretending not to know. I say, what next? muttered Carol. A footman indeed. But, Carol, in that case, let us just go on to Constance. Oh, are you going to Mrs. Van der Velke's? Yes, we must really pay her a visit today. Well, come along then, growled Carol, who was irritable without knowing why. And they drove to the Hotel des Andes. The porter left them in the hall for a moment, then showed them up. How nice of you to come, said Constance. She was genuinely pleased. And in this awful weather, but as you see, you have to come up to my bedroom. I have no sitting room, and the drawing room is such a bore. Really, it's very nice of you to come, she repeated, and in this rain too. Adrian. Yes, Mamma. Here are Uncle Carol and Aunt Cato. She beckoned for the boy to come from his room. She was smiling with happiness, glad to see the faces of her brother and her sister-in-law, longing for the sympathy of family affection, though she had not known Cato in the old days. Ah, is that your boy, Constance? Well, he is a big boy. How do you do, Aunt? How do you do, Uncle? said the lad, a little coldly and haughtily. Is he like his father? asked Carol. Yes said Constance, grudgingly. Carol and Cato looked at Adrian. The boy stood bolt upright before them. A strikingly handsome lad, he certainly resembled his father. He had van der Velke's regular features, his round head, his short, soft, curly hair. At thirteen, an age when other boys are overgrown, gawky and clumsy in their ways, he was not tall but well-proportioned and rather broadly built, with a pair of square shoulders in his blue serge jacket, with something about his gestures and movements that denoted a certain manliness and self-possession, uncommon in so young a boy. He tried to be polite, but could not conceal a certain mistrust of this unknown uncle and aunt. His small mouth was firmly closed, his eyes stared fixedly, dark blue, serious and cold. Constance made her sister-in-law and brother sit down. Forgive all this muddle, she said with a laugh. I was taking advantage of the rainy day to arrange my trunks a bit. Cateau gave a sharp glance round. There were dresses hanging over the chairs and from the pegs. A couple of hats lay on a table. Oh, Constance, said Cateau and she felt a little impertinent at saying, Constance, just like that. She had married Carol after Constance's marriage to Distoffela, and this was only the second time that she had seen her sister-in-law, and had it on her lips to say, Mefrau, instead. Oh, Constance, what a lot of clothes you have. Do you think so? Things get so spoilt in one's trunks. I haven't as many dresses as that. Have I, Carol? But what I have is really good. But yours are good too, Constance. 
I like really good clothes. Only such a lot of lace would fidget me. Bertha dresses well too, but Adolphine, oh, what a sight she always looks. Does she? asked Constance. But she has to consider the cost of things, hasn't she? I have only two dresses every year, but those are really good. And will Van der Velke be here soon? asked Carol. On Tuesday, then we shall look round for a house. I do think it's so delightful to be back at The Hague, among all of you. I see Mamma every day. Yesterday I was at Bertha's, a busy household, isn't it? I came plump into the middle of all sorts of rehearsals for the wedding. And I was at Kerritz. Adeline is a dear, and oh, how I laughed! How I laughed! What a lot of children! I can't tell them one from the other yet. But how charming and delightful that fair-haired little woman with that fair-haired little troop! And she's expecting another baby this summer. And Doreen is nice too. Oh, you don't know! You don't know how glad I am to see you all. We are a big family, and life at The Hague is so busy. Look at Bertha. And Gerrit and Adeline too are busy with their little troop. But I do hope to take my place among you all again. It is so long since I saw you all. Ah, I didn't want to force things. Mamma did come to see me twice in Brussels, but my brothers and my sisters. No, it wasn't kind of you. But I dare say it's had to be. Things were as they were. You couldn't very well respect me. You had to disown me. It couldn't be helped. I suffered tortures all those years. I never had anyone to talk to, except him, my little son. It wasn't right of Mamma, was it, Addy, to be always talking to you? But I couldn't speak out to Henri, to Van der Velke. Oh, we are very good friends, quite good friends. I can't tell you how, all of a sudden, I longed for The Hague, for my family, for the people I used to know, for all of you, for everything. I always wrote to Mamma regularly, and Mamma gave me all the news, sent me the photographs of my little nephews and nieces, and yet my brain's whirling. Now that I am seeing you all, there are such a lot of us. I don't think there can be many families as big as ours. Bertha's alone is a big household. Fancy, Bertha, a grandmother. It's dreadful how old we're growing. I'm forty-two. Oh, I couldn't have gone on living in Brussels. We had no one left there. Our friends were scattered, gone away. Van der Velke, too, was beginning to long for Holland, for Addy's sake as well as his own. Addy speaks very good Dutch, though. I always made him keep it up. He has a bit of a Flemish accent, perhaps. What do you think, Addy? We had a Flemish servant. Oh, what a lot I have to tell you. She laughed happily. Nothing interesting, you know, but I feel as if I must tell you everything. Talk and talk and talk to you, to all of you, my brothers, my sisters. She suddenly got up. Carol, do you remember in India how we used to play in the river, behind the palace, how we walked on those great stone boulders, you and I and Gerrit? We three always played together. Yes, Bertha had been married a year or two while we were still children. Is Bertha fifty yet? She's quite grey. I'm going grey myself. Dear Bertha, and Louis and Gertrude, who died at Bautersorg. Do you remember, Carol? 
It was we three who were always together. You used to carry me over the water on your back. How naughty we were! And I was thirteen or fourteen at that time, and things are so funny in India. Next year I was in long frocks and going to the balls. I thought it delightful, all that grandeur, the aide-de-camp, the national anthem wherever we went. I used to imagine they played it for me, the viceroy's little daughter. Yes, Van Nagel was at the bar then, at Summerang. Bertha didn't come in for any of it. Oh, it's past now, my vanity. That shows you how a person changes. You were changed too, Carol. You have become so sedate, so dignified. What a pity you are no longer a burgomaster. You're cut out for it, Carol. She's tried to speak lightly, suddenly feeling that she was talking too much about herself, letting herself go while Carol and Cato sat staring at her. And yet she cared for them. Was not Carol her brother, who had always been bracketed with Gerrit in her childhood memories? And was not Cato his wife, though she had not a sympathetic face, with those great round eyes of hers? Were they not members of the family for which she had longed so? She tried to speak playfully, after her all too spontaneous outpouring, but she suddenly felt that this was out of tune too. She felt that, after all, she had not seen her brother for twenty years, not since the day of her marriage to de Stuffela, and that they had become as utter strangers to each other. She felt that she did not know Cato at all, and so, though Carol and Cato were her brother and sister, they were also strangers. But that was just what she did not want. She wanted to win them all, the whole family, to feel that they were all warm-hearted and indulgent towards her. And she spoke of Mamma, of the Sunday evenings, of Mamma's mania for the family, which she herself now felt so strongly, intensified, as it had been in those lonely, joyless Brussels years. She asked their advice about taking a house at The Hague. The best thing you can do is consult an estate agent, said Carol. There's one close by. He'll know about all the houses to let. It will be difficult to find the right thing, said Constance. We had a pretty flat at Brussels, and I really prefer a flat to a house, but there aren't any in Holland. Oh, Constance, said Cato, round-eyed, don't you find a flat very stuffy? Not at all, and I love to have everything on one floor. I don't care for maids running up and down the stairs. Yes, but the place must be kept clean. Well, it was, only in a flat, abroad, the bell doesn't keep ringing as it does at one's front door in Holland. The cook goes to market in the morning. And does she just buy everything? She buys enough for a couple of days, vegetables and eggs and whatever she wants. Do you leave that to the cook? Oh, yes. Imagine if I didn't, laughed Constance. She simply couldn't understand it. I used only to give her a few instructions. Well, I must say that I don't think that's at all a proper way of housekeeping. Do you, Carol? It's the way of the country, growled Carol, under his breath. Were you thinking of looking for a house in one of the new districts? Downord, for instance? I'd rather not be so far from all of you. Dear Constance, laughed Cato, 
with her round face, but we all live more or less far from one another. There was a knock at the door. The porter showed Adolphine in. Ah, Adolphine, how nice of you to come, all the more as we are to meet at Mamma's this evening. You're a good sister. And she kissed Adolphine. This is my boy. I brought him to see you the other day, but you were out. How do you do, aunt? said Addy, stiffly. Forgive the muddle, Adolphine. I was just unpacking my trunks. We ought really to be going on, Carol. Are you going so soon? Yes, it's raining so, and the broom is getting so wet. Constance, said Carol, did you say that van der Velke would be here on Tuesday? I expect so. Well then, give him my kind regards, and... and... Would you give him my card? Then that'll be all right. He took a visiting card from his pocket book and laid it on a corner of the console table. Constance looked at him in momentary perplexity. She could not speak for a second or two, did not understand. She herself had been brought up and had lived according to very punctilious rules of card leaving, but yet she failed to understand how one brother-in-law could leave a card on another brother-in-law before that other was in town and during a visit paid in his sister's bedroom amid all the muddle of her unpacked trunks. But she had been so long away from Holland and The Hague, she did not wish it to appear that she did not understand and, as a woman of the world, she did not, above all, wish it to appear that she thought Carol's performance with the card not only stiff but intensely vulgar. She said, with a gentle smile, Thank you, Carol. Van der Velke will appreciate your call greatly. Her voice sounded friendly and natural, and neither Carol nor Cato had any idea that Constance had controlled herself, as she had sometimes had to control herself in Rome, in a diplomatic salon full of intrigue and polished envy. In the broom, Cato said, You did that very cleverly, Carol, with that card. Yes, I thought it the best way, said Carol, in a burgomasterly manner. End of chapter 5